Good morning, everyone. So um, Joel's away, so it's my uh, pleasure and honor to speak to you today. And um, yeah, it was funny. I, I I was getting you know kind of ready, and I was chatting with someone this morning, and, and Wes, he was just coming to me from across the room, and he had the the biggest smile on his face, and I thought, yeah, that is the face of a man who does not have to preach today. (laughs) It's just so big, so huge. Anyway, it's a real privilege to be able to share the stage uh, here today with the the people from Compassion, and I just so much like what what they do. And uh, yeah, really exciting uh, to be even a small part of, uh, of being kind of in the, in the service with them here today. So um, in case you don't know me very well, my name is Mark and uh, I'm a counselor. But before I became a counselor, I was a camp director. Really, I was. And um, it was a little camp called Beaver Creek Bible Camp and Uh, In 2004, I remember it was kind of a big year because we did this really cool um, island hopping canoe trip staff camp. And so it was really cool, but it was also quite humbling. And there were two main reasons for that. Uh, The first of those great humblings was that after driving four hours to get to this remote put-in down this crazy government gravel road with, uh, you know, the speed limit was like... 30 or 40 kilometers an hour, something like that. Uh, We got there and I realized I had forgotten all my stuff. (laughs) So all my gear, all my clothes, everything. All I had on me, you know, that I was actually wearing was all that I had and a life jacket. And so I think Ian has a picture of me maybe. Yeah, so that's me. I don't know if you can see it. But that's all I had for that entire trip. I think there's actually, if you're wondering what that is in my hand, it's a thistle. It got stuck there. I thought it was funny. <laughs> anyway, it's kind of humbling when you're the leader and you forget all your stuff. And you're trying to be, you know, an example. And Yeah, so that was, that was the first challenge. Nights were a bit challenging, right? When all you have is a personal flotation device to use for sleeping in. So I got bugged quite a bit for that. But the second great humbling was even bigger because one day we were canoeing past some islands and it's really beautiful out there. There's hundreds of little islands on Lake Winnipeg to explore. And um, we passed this island and there were all kinds of um, cliffs there. And so a few people said, hey, can we like stop at that island and jump off the cliffs? And I said, sure, why not? Um, you know, let's get some pictures. And it was late June, so the water was actually pretty cold. And so I kind of thought, yeah, I think I'm going to sit this one out. I assumed that I would not be alone in that. It was really cold water. But one by one, everyone decided that they were going to jump in, even like those timid, quiet girls, you know, that are, are always a part of every good staff team. And And so... They would say things like, come on, Mark, right? it's not that bad. And I would just smile, and then, and, and then I chickened out. I didn't do it. And I was the only one. 
And then later on, someone took some really cool pictures of people jumping off the cliffs, and I realized that I would never get to be in those pictures because I had let my fear get the best of me. And of course, because of that, I had a healthy sense of regret afterwards. Right? Fear had cost me a really cool experience, and I regretted giving in to that fear. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today, is about fear holding us back um, from the blessings that God has for us and for the world that we live in. But first, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we can all gather here today, and I thank you that um, there is not one of us here who doesn't struggle with fear sometimes and need your help. So Lord, I just pray that you would uh, guide us and bring to mind um, just the, the, the memories of the times where we succeeded in fighting off fear and you blessed us, and even the times that we didn't and we failed in that. Bring those to our mind and bring to us the, the current challenges that we face and give us your strength and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, we had some YouTube celebrities, I mean, Joel and Wes, uh, share about how God has been directing the elders team here at this church uh, to the very unusual prayer of the prayer of Jabez, found in 1 Chronicles 4.10. And if you're not familiar with it, it's pretty simple. It just says, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And I was kind of thinking about this, about, about why is this prayer so challenging to so many people? And I think that one of the, you know, the many different reasons is that it brings up a lot of fears. And as a counselor, I find that when I'm working with people and people want to change or, or, or people are not changing, eventually it always comes back to fear. Right? And even with the, the prayer of Jabez, you know, what if God doesn't bless me? Or what if I pray this and God doesn't answer the way that I want him to? And of course, maybe even scarier, what if God does enlarge my territory? Am I okay with that? Could I handle that? What would that look like? Asking for big things can sometimes be hard for us, but maybe even more so is the, you know, the second part of that verse, let your hand be with me. To ask for God's hand to be with us is to put our faith and our trust in him and to lean on God for his power and direction and not to be in control ourselves. And if we're depending on him, then we're not really relying on ourselves anymore. We're not fully in control. So what holds us back from that, from that true dependence on God? Again, I think for a lot of us, it's fear. Fear not or do not be afraid is the most mentioned command in the Bible, 366 times. That's good for once a year, one day a year, plus leap years as well. You're covered. And there is such a thing as kind of a normal or a good fear, like the fear of pain that comes from touching a hot stove, or the fear that keeps you from driving too fast in a blizzard, or the fear that keeps a man from dressing the way he really wants to, because he's afraid of what his wife might say. <laughs> okay, maybe not that last one. But if fear only happened when it was truly needed, 
right? Like when you're being chased by a, a homicidal maniac or something like that, it wouldn't be anything to worry about. But the problem is that for most of us, fear strikes us when it is not helpful or wanted. And if you read the Bible and you look at the number of commands about fear in it, it suggests that basically fear is mostly kind of a destructive thing in our lives. Fear as we usually experience it is not actually helpful. And so over and over in the Bible, it's the giving into fear that keeps people from trusting and obeying God. And John Ortberg, a well-known speaker, he talks about several ways that fear costs us. The first one I find actually the most interesting, and that's the loss of self-esteem. Almost all research suggests that self-esteem actually largely boils down to one issue. When you face a difficult situation, do you approach it? Do you take action, right? And do you face it head on? Or do you avoid it? Do you wimp out and do you run and hide? If you take action, you actually get kind of this physical and emotional surge of delight, even actually if things don't turn out uh, perfectly. But um, that's not what happens when you don't. Um, when you avoid facing up to a threatening situation, even if things end up turning out kind of all right, inside you kind of tell yourself something like, but the truth is I wimped out. I didn't do the hard thing. I took the easy way out. And that avoidance kills our inner sense of confidence and esteem. The second way that fear causes us to lose something is the loss of our destiny. If you live in fear, you will never experience the potential that God has placed in you. All your gifts, all your abilities, all your experiences, good and bad. Growth, unfortunately, always involves risk. And risk always involves fear. Sometimes it's that we fear failure, right? What if I try something new and I fail? But sometimes it's actually success. We fear success. What if I succeed and people expect more of me and that puts more pressure on me? Right? It's kind of like this cycle that, that keeps happening. Fear costs us our destiny. The third way that, that fear causes us to lose something is the loss of joy. Have you ever met a deeply joyful and chronically worried person? <laughs> uh, fear destroys joy. When I, when I live with a fear-filled perspective, you know, about all the bad things that could happen to me, uh, I give such things power to rob me of life now. It's kind of like you can have fear or you can have joy, but you can't have both at the same time. The last one I'm particularly interested in, in as a counselor, and that's the loss of intimacy or closeness with people. Because when you're afraid, it always leads to hiding, which means that we can't be close or real with people. Remember Adam in the garden. God says to him, where are you, Adam? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And for many of us, 
we are still hiding, right? Hiding things today from those around us, hiding our true thoughts, our feelings, and our requests and needs of those that we love. If you want to feel good and to love yourself, if you want to live out the destiny that God has for you, right? If we want to have joy and we want to be close to people, then the only way to do that is to stop letting our fears rule us. And the only way to do that, unfortunately, is to face them. So for a little bit of inspiration, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. That's Matthew 14, verse 22. And if you read this story, the story that's right before it is the story of Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000, right, with five loaves of bread and, and two fishes. And what I find really interesting is that this passage that we're about to read, you know, it has some parallel passages in, in Mark and John. They also talk about the story, different details, but it's the same basic story. And in one of those, it says that the disciples didn't really understand what happened with the loaves and that their hearts were hardened. Well, this story is kind of like how Jesus helps them to unharden their hearts. So we start at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. This is something Jesus did. Sometimes after a big ministry event, he would just go off and be by himself. He'd send the disciples somewhere else. So I don't think they were surprised by that. In verse 23, it says, After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So that considerable distance, if you read the parallel passages, it actually turns out that it was about five or six kilometers Right? And if you read another part of the passage, it, it says that, that they left in the evening, so maybe around 7 or 8 o'clock. And then they were paddling against the waves. I don't know about you, but, but paddling right, or rowing against the waves is not very fun. Right? To go against the wind, the waves hitting you, uh, it's punishing. Right? Keith and I go paddleboarding. We hate that. That's why we usually go downriver with the current. But sometimes even then the wind comes up against us and it's slow going and it's really discouraging when you're paddling like crazy and then all of a sudden you look beside you and an older lady is actually walking faster than you're paddling. But that's kind of actually what ends up happening to the disciples here. Because it says shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them and just, you know, where it says shortly before dawn, that's like the fourth watch of the night. And so that's like 3 to 6 a.m., which means the disciples were like rowing and rowing and not making much headway. You might say, well, 5 to 6 kilometers, that's pretty far, but not over like 6 to 9 hours because the average man's walking speed is about 5 kilometers an hour, 3.1 miles for you imperial folks. And so that means instead of taking one hour to do that distance, if they were walking, they took like several, several hours. That's like crawling probably would have been faster for them. 
So they were tired and they were exhausted. And probably they're a bit grumpy, right? Why did Jesus tell us to do this? Didn't he know the wind was going to come up? That kind of thing. And so Jesus walks out to them. The great miracle. He walks out to them on the lake. And by then we don't know how much darkness there was. Maybe the sun was starting to come up. But it says that they saw him. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. And I was trying to put myself into the disciples' shoes and be like, what would that have been like? Like, really, a ghost? But I mean, all of a sudden, coming through the darkness, you see this figure above the water. That's going to be kind of freaky. And, of course, something supernatural, which I suppose in the end it was. But they cried out in fear. And Jesus calms them right away in verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, and then do not be afraid. Right? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Now, most people, when they get really frightened, right? I remember one time um, in our house, Riker was quietly coming up the stairs, and, or, and Jubina was there, and then all of a sudden, he was there, and she screamed, and she slapped him. Um, scared him really good. They were both scared. It took them both a few moments to calm down, right? And that's why I think it's so amazing about Peter, because... Because Peter just says, Lord, if it's you, verse 28, tell me to come to you on the water, right? You can feel two emotions at the same time, right? When I was, you know, getting engaged to Jovina, I was very nervous and afraid, but I was also very excited and, and hopeful and happy. And I think that's probably what Peter was happening with him. His fear was going down in his excitement. This was a new thing, Jesus walking on the water. It was opening up his mind to new possibilities, and Jesus, in verse 29, just says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus, right? The second person in the history of the world now to walk on the water. And I was thinking Peter must have had to kind of, you know, it's a big, it had to be a pretty big boat, 12 guys in it. He probably had to walk down, um, or, or not walk down, but kind of let himself down. And then he had to put his foot down and then step not into the water, but onto it for the very first time, right? And then he began to walk to Jesus. And we don't know how long that was. Maybe it was like five seconds, 10 seconds, 20 seconds. But I bet you that Peter never forgot that for the rest of his life. And I kind of wish the story ended there a little bit, but it doesn't. In verse 30, it says, but when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Right? Peter doubted. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Right? Jesus is compassionate. And then he says something, which has always kind of landed on me slightly wrong. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Right? That term, little faith, is actually like, a, it's like one word in the Greek. It's kind of like, almost like a little nickname. Like, hey, little faith, like that. And so Jesus kind of hits him pretty strong there. And then he leaves him with that powerful question. 
Why did you doubt? And if it was coming from someone else besides Jesus, it would be easy to take it as an attack or as a shaming, but I think Jesus just meant it. He wanted Peter to think about it. And then lastly, it says, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Because now the disciples got it. Their hearts were softened. They saw their Lord walking on the water. They saw him save Peter. And then when Jesus got in the boat, after like eight hours of wind being against them, they saw the wind die down. And they saw the Son of God moving in power. And they got it. They understood. And they worshipped him. Because of the way that Jesus talks to Peter, I've kind of always shied away from this. I put myself in his shoes and thought, man, I wouldn't want to be talked to, you know, by Jesus like that. Especially when, you know, those other disciples, which John Orberg calls the boat potatoes, you know, instead of couch potatoes, uh, they didn't do anything. They just sat there being scared. But, Jesus, or, but Peter at least stepped out of the boat, and that took a lot of courage and a lot of trust. But I've, as I've read this, I thought, yeah, but Jesus talks to everyone at their level. He knows us personally and deeply. And he knew that he could challenge Peter in that way and that Peter could take it. He knew Peter, and he knows us. When Jesus lived with his disciples, he was continually challenging them, helping them to confront their fears and inviting them to trust him completely so that they could grow in their faith. And he does the same thing for us today. But to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. To receive the blessings that come with obeying God, we have to face our fears and take action. The story today is not about Bartholomew walking on water because he stayed in the boat. And it's not the story of, G, of sorry, Matthew walking on the water because Matthew stayed in the boat. And it's not the story of John or James walking on the water because they stayed in the boat. And as long as we stay in the boat, we will never sink, but we will also never walk on the water. Do you remember that video um, that we saw a few times this month? For those of you who are visiting, uh, Pastor Joel showed this uh, video of uh, four individuals who are making New Year's resolutions and their pain of trying to face their fears and get through them. Uh, I especially remember the woman cutting up her credit cards and screaming. That really sticks in my mind. But there were these four people making resolutions. First, there was a woman who resolved to call her mom. You know what? It can be really terrifying to try and get close when there has been hurt and distance with someone. Right? Or the man choosing and resolving to get into shape. It can be really frightening to put oneself out there and to risk failing at something that's really hard and really public. Or the woman choosing to cut up her credit cards. It can be very scary to trust that God will help her to be happy without her retail therapy to depend on. And lastly, there was the couple choosing to go to counseling for their marriage. Right? It can be terrifying to be vulnerable. And I've been on both sides of that, uh, of that situation. Right? To share your kind of raw spots and your weakness with a stranger right, to get help is not easy. It's a lot easier to stay in the boat. 
But personally, I'm kind of sick of being a boat potato. I want to expand my territory, right, and have God's hand on me for his glory. I really do want to face my fears, even if I fail sometimes, like Peter did. I want to obey Jesus when he says over and over again, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. I want to grow in my trust for him. Remember that, uh, that picture uh, that I showed that is still being shown there? Uh, I actually try to look at it and remember it often so that I can learn from it. A few years ago, uh, a guy in our church, Dan Franklin, asked me to do a short-term missions trip uh, with him to Haiti with some other guys in the church. And I really didn't want to. I think that I was... I was afraid of the costs, like, can I afford this? Am I actually going to enjoy it? And, you know, a little bit of like, I don't know how to swing a hammer. I'm going to look kind of stupid in front of all these guys. But then I remembered the cliffs, right? And I remember that, that sense of regret that I'd missed out on something. And I kind of applied that regret test to the situation. And I was like, okay, Lord, am I going to regret this if I don't go? And the answer came back to me, Yes. And so I said, okay, and I signed up. And I had an absolutely amazing trip and met God in new ways and was so blessed by it, I can't imagine not doing it now. What if this year, right, you committed to facing some of your biggest fears? What would that look like? What kind of big risks do you feel like God is asking you to face and saying, I'll be right there beside you? Let's pray. Father, it's not easy for us. It's not easy for us to face our fears. We have so many of them. And we deceive ourselves so much about how they impact us. So we ask for your help to take that first step out of the boat in some significant area in our life. Thank you for all the times, Lord, that we have stepped out of the boat. Please remind us of them. Remind us of your faithfulness. And give us the courage this week forward and to face our fears with your power and your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.